My name is Abigail Winter. I am an actor and a musician and a filmmaker. And that's my introduction for myself. I'll leave it at that. That was a good introduction. Great. Three the, things. Three things. Yeah. yeah. Very, very important things. <laughs> yeah. That is nice. Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. How did you how did you get started in in, in this business? I know you were you you're you're from Vancouver originally. Yep, yep. Where was like family into not at music all. Or? Not at all. My mom is she is a bit into music. She ran the she was a teacher, um, and she ran the whole high school kind of music program, which was really cool. But no actors in the family. Um, I the first thing I ever did, I was six years old. I played uh, Gretel in the Sound of Music, and it was supposed to be just kind of a experience, like here go do a play kind of thing. Really? Um, yeah. So it wasn't necessarily directed by me. More my mom was just like, this might be fun. Yeah. Um, and so it slowly dawned on me as I did more and more stuff that, okay, I actually really love doing this. But mm. it, it wasn't always like a dream to be an actor or something like that. So it happened a bit by accident, I think. And so like, was there a feeling that you got from being on stage? Mm-hmm. Um, was it the crowd cheer? Like what was it that that sort of gave you the bug? It's a good question because I'm not necessarily one that seeks out people watching them. Like I kind of am a little bit shy. But um, I think what I liked about it was all of the people, the cast. There was this amazing feeling of family and working to put something together. Mm -hmm. That's what I I loved more of it than necessarily performing um and that was just a byproduct of i don't know collaborating and i love that it felt like a family so that's i think that's what i liked about it initially and then when i found moved more from theater into film that's when i started to find oh i like this about the job like getting to explore things that we never talk about in life like those kinds of things Mm. um i i'd say that's what i love now about it but at first, it was just a lot of fun being with people, I think. Yeah. Well, the current show that you're on, talk. there's a lot of themes in there that people are, that might be quote-unquote uncomfortable yeah. speaking about. But you, you, you said that you're, you're a shy person. Yeah. I mean, I'm not shy, but I don't. I, I love to talk to people, but I'm not someone who seeks it out, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So you're not the type of person that will walk out of the studio <laughs> and hop on the table in the bar and lead the crowd well, in a Well, you know what? Along. You never know. Oh. Let's not <laughs> let's not jump to any conclusions. <laughs> Could happen, but no. <laughs> no, but it's interesting you say that because there, I, I've met a number of people that are, I guess, perform, you know, they perform for a living. Yep. Whether it's in front of a TV or whatnot. Um, and many people have told me that outside of that, they're they're shy or they're um, you know they're not very gregarious or anything mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's very interesting. Yeah, I found it's a common thing. I think a lot of people outside think we're all kind of these extroverted performers, but I don't. I haven't met a lot of actors that are like that. Mm-hmm. It's you can kind of tap into that, but that's not your. Your general state of being, I think, which yeah. is an interesting, it's an interesting thing. I think that's only the reason though why you can continue in the business because you like uh, other parts of it other sure. than, you know what I mean? Other than that. Otherwise, I don't think that would be enough to drive, well, me anyways, wouldn't mm. be enough to like, keep me going in this. I, I read somewhere Bono saying that um, you know, one of the things that keeps him in music or performing is, is 
you know, not the main thing, but one of the things is that there's something about being a quote unquote rock star on stage mm-hmm. and having tens of thousands of people cheering or mm-hmm. singing the song with you. Yeah. That sort of gives him that juice and drives him. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's a collective feeling. It's like a sharing of, I know even I'm not, you know, like Bono, but um, <laughs> even sharing a, a show or any kind of film or concept. It's that idea of there's no point in making these things unless you're sharing them with other people and somehow impacting them, even if it's a small moment. So I think I, I get that yeah. feeling of like, that's why we do this. So after playing in an iconic play like Sound of Music, yeah. um, was it just you're off and running, parents are putting you into all these classes, or was it like, oh, I'd love to do that, mm-hmm. but obviously you're just six years old? <laughs> yeah, it was, so they never put me into classes. I I think, and I don't remember exactly, but I think how it worked out was that the company that I did uh, Sound of Music through, they kept putting on other shows. Okay. And so I kind of, more like morphed into their company and that's how I got further jobs and it wasn't I I would say I did one a year for the first few years so it wasn't anything crazy yeah but um it it definitely seemed like it just was unfolding and what like someone would come up and say would you would you do this and looking back on that that's kind of a very rare thing that happens it doesn't often just happen that way so I feel lucky that it did some people do piano yeah um, swimming classes. Yeah. Your yours was you were gonna go and act. I was gonna go. That was your after school program. Stand on stage for a little bit. I did a bit of piano too, actually. Oh, did you? Okay. But <laughs> I didn't love that as much. No? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you you sort of you, you spent many years in theater. I don't know if it was just like primarily theater or only yeah. theater. Yeah. We spent many years there. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically, I think six years at Stratford. Yeah. Um. Was you coming to Stratford, was that like a move direct from Vancouver? It was, yeah. So it was supposed to be when they auditioned for To Kill a Mockingbird. That's the one I came out for. Um, They auditioned for Scout across Canada. And that was another thing where someone was just kind of like, hey, why don't you go and audition for this thing? And I didn't know anything about this. Um, And so I did. And for whatever reason, I ended up getting cast, and it for was whatever reason. for whatever reason somebody made a mistake. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, wrong, just, Abigail." Just bring her over. <laughs> um, but I ended up out in Stratford, and it was supposed to be just for one season, and then mm-hmm. I was going to go back to Vancouver and continue on. And there I was, six years later, still at Stratford. So again, another one of those things that just kind of happened. I didn't plan it, or. Now, you're a young woman. How old were you when you went to Stratford? I was 10. 10 years old? Yeah, I was 10 years old, yeah. So mom came with you, dad came My with- mom came with me. Yeah? Yeah, which is amazing. And Wow. Yeah, yeah, really cool. So I think she really enjoyed it too. Like, sure. <laughs> she she liked you. I, I always say she should have been an actor too. Like mm-hmm. that's what she should have done. But so she kind of got to experience that as well. And I think it was fun. Not all just like giving up her life too, but. It's, what did your parents do, by the way? So my mom is a teacher, um, okay. a very skilled teacher, yeah. and my dad is a tennis professional. Really? And I cannot play tennis for the life of me. <laughs> did he play on tour? Like, do we? Sh- I'm looking at your last name. Like, should I know who this person is? I feel like probably not. Okay. But he still teaches. But he teaches and, tennis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you didn't take to tennis. I didn't. No. <laughs> I just have a distinct memory of being very young and watching him 
play and just not understanding why we were watching this ball go back and <laughs> forth for so long. <laughs> yeah. Were you in sports at all? Did that did that yeah, affect you? Yeah, yeah. I loved soccer. I loved football actually. Wow. And then more seriously, I was trained as a dancer as well. Okay. Um, whether that's considered a sport or not, I don't know. But also had a brief phase of roller derby. Um, ah. That's my fun sport. That's yeah. your fun. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I have a coworker who's in roller derby. Oh, cool. She loves it. It's so fun. Yeah. 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 We've said she did, she's hesitant to tell us when when she plays. Right. Is that a thing? Right. Yeah. Um, because she doesn't want us all of us to come out. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I think she's a little bit shy oh, that gosh. way. Oh yeah. gosh, it's so fun. Yeah. Um, but that's cool. So you're here for sorry, you're in Stratford, mm -hmm. um, for six years. Yep. Um, and what was it that kept you kept you coming back or? Uh, what stopped you from continuing at Stratford after six years? Yeah, so every season, the artistic director, kind of how it works, they propose an offer for the next season to any company member. And so that's why they would kind of offer, these are the plays we were thinking of, and whether I said yes or no to that kind of thing. Okay. So that's how it continued unfolding. And then the last season, I that year I started also exploring more the film TV aspect of things. Mm -hmm. I started studying with Louis Bomander um, and really fell in love with that medium of things. Mm -hmm. And so I decided after six years that I wanted to explore that and not be in theater at that point anymore. Yeah. I also was building a life more so in Toronto at the time and I wanted to have more time to come in and explore that. So sure. that's how it, it seemed to be kind of a natural transition of like that had been enough and it was amazing, but mm -hmm. six years was good and I wanted to. I'm trying to think what I was doing between the ages of 10 and 16. Yeah. Amir, what were you doing? Riding your bicycle. Oh, playing piano. Playing, playing piano. piano. That's a good thing to do. I, I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Was not comic thinking books? about. Yeah, pro most likely. Yeah. Comic books. <laughs> Yeah, climbing trees. Yeah, just Those that, are fun I was I was in that awkward stage. Uh huh. You know. Yeah. Between yeah. twelve and sixteen. Yeah, yeah. That right? awkward stage was long for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, my wife thinks I'm still going through. Sure, sure. Awkward me stage. too. I think so. <laughs> I, don't th I don't think it stops. No. Um, so you're 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 in your your preteens. Yep. And I guess you're spending your summers in Stratford in southern yeah. Ontario. Yeah. Um. So school wasn't an issue. <laughs> or no I was in a different school every year of my life oh my it goodness it just so happened that way um and a few of the years I was homeschooled by my mom okay um yeah but most of the time I just for whatever reason jumped from school to school because one school finished at grade six and then I had to change and of course it was just like how it worked out but I went back the other day and I was like wow I was it was truly a different school every year <laughs> so it was I got pretty good at adapting i think but yeah. i i never felt like an outsider but i never felt like i fit in if that makes sense how was it like for you you know we talked about this awkward stage of yeah, life yeah here you are you know you're pursuing something mm -hmm. but at the same time um you know most of your time i'm guessing you know between september and april at least yeah you're you're quote unquote in school and stuff and yeah. every year there's a new new group of faces yeah how was that for you it was overwhelming, yeah, thinking back on it. I think at the time I, I didn't think much of it mm -hmm. and more so just kind of got done when I needed to in order to do my other things. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it wasn't easy. It, it wasn't easy for sure. I think I never encountered 
any kind of bullying situation, but people couldn't figure me out. They were like, what do you leave all the time to do? <laughs> what are you doing? Where are you going? <laughs> yeah, I remember actually, uh, I think it was grade eight or nine. Yeah. Um, my class, their like extracurricular, whatever, was coming to see a show that I was in. And oh I was God. supposed to be in this. I had to write a report on the show I was in and no <laughs> that one they knew. were going to see. They knew I was in it, but my teachers just, you know, I still had to write the report. Write the report. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it was like, you know, it was a little bit embarrassing. I think a teenager too, like being seen by all your classmates doing Shakespeare dressed up in some weird costume. Like I played a lot of boys in Shakespeare mm -hmm. plays, so I was seen a lot as that. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting time of life for sure. Wow. How, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around around that yeah you know there was this mix too of you know you're figuring yourself out and all mm -hmm. that but also being in an adult world and so needing to i don't know maintain this sense of responsibility and integrity when sometimes you just people at that age well i still do but make mistakes yeah and so it was it was kind of walking that line between figuring out who i was but still showing up to work and being a professional and yeah, it was interesting. How was that day when your class came to watch you? <laughs> it was okay. I didn't like it. I didn't like being watched. I knew they were out there and I felt early self-conscious. You, like, are you are you able to see them? Uh, no, it's or you dark really enough. Okay. Yeah, I, it was, well, A, dark enough, but also, yeah, I tried to kind of be focused enough. But, you know, at the back of your mind, like all of my school class is there right now. <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. What do you do when you get nervous? You know, funnily enough, uh, podcasts. I listen to podcasts. You do? I love podcasts. All right. So. After this, I'm getting one new listener, I'm hoping. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's me. That's me. What podcast do you listen to? I love Invisibilia. Okay. Um, anything by NPR, TED yeah. Radio kind mm -hmm. of hour. Um, I loved Stuart McLean. Oh, my goodness. Anything. Also, when I can't sleep at night, it's, mm -hmm. this isn't so much podcast, but I just put on BBC radio and okay. there's something about talking that I just love, yeah. even if they're just talking about the most mundane things and so comforted by it. Um, what else do I? Oh, I love um, Sam. What's his last name? Sam something. His off camera podcast mm -hmm. that he does with actors. I, I love okay, that. So, okay. Yeah. I have a Stuart McLean story. So uh, what day is it? Tuesday. So Sunday. Mm -hmm. So my son today is his first skating lessons. Okay. Um, and so we were looking for skates and a helmet. Okay. So a lot of these places in Toronto go to the rinks and there's a pro shop and you can buy like used skates and um, you know, helmets are relatively cheaper than you can get at Canadian Tire or something yeah. like that. So we walk into this one pro shop and there's a Stuart McLean collection of his stories. Oh, wow. And uh, so I said, hey, he was great on the radio. And the guy who's running the pro shop says, one of my stories is in the book. Really? Yeah. So he had wow. a book, he had a story oh in, in, in the book there. And uh, there are times when I would listen uh -huh. to that show and I go, okay, he's... Is, is this all scripted? Yeah, yeah. You know, is it really real people that yeah, are sending in yeah. stories? Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. But yeah, yeah. So I met somebody and, and I never, and you know what? He's taking lessons at that rink. So huh. one day I want to go back and I want to take a photo with yeah. him. Yeah. You know? That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, that was an amazing yeah, he had, storyteller. He had, he, yeah, he was fantastic. He was, yeah. He was really, really good. Yeah. Um, Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Podcast when you get, when you get. Nervous. Nervous. Yeah. Podcast. It calms you down? It does calm me down. Okay. Yeah. And also any kind of like 
peppermint tea. That's my thing. That's my go-to. Podcast and peppermint tea. Exactly. The two Ps. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is neat. Yeah. Um, So as as you're in theater, you you said that you were exploring uh, TV and movies. It it sounds like those are two different muscles, Mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah. You know, one is like there's no... You can't do a double take. Yeah. You know, in, in live theater, it's like you just roll with it. Mm-hmm. Television, you make, I'm, I'm guessing, you yeah. make a mistake, you can do it again. Yeah. Um, there's no crowd there that will laugh on cue mm-hmm. or, or clap on cue mm-hmm. or gasp or anything like that. Um, how did you find, like, what was what was that, that change and that difference like? Yeah, it's interesting. I think theater in general feels more like a marathon and mm. a film kind of feels like a, a sprint because someone put it in a really good way where film and TV is you're kind of watching the highlights reel. You know, you get all of these takes and then the editor picks this moment from here and this moment from here. And what you're seeing is the best of kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do love, though, about... You know, like you said, you don't get the reaction of the audience from theater. And, mm-hmm. and for some people, that gives them energy and, you know, response and everything. But for me, I found that, you know, if our goal is to make things as similar to real life as possible, very seldom are you having a moment and there's a whole audience going, whoa, you know. And so <laughs> I find that actually not having the reaction it allows you to get deeper into whatever you're doing. Mm. And the luxury of having more takes is, you know, you get, every, well, I find anyways, you get deeper and deeper and deeper into it. You're not projecting. You're right there with the person. And so for me, it was so much more fulfilling because it felt like we were actually creating something that did feel as real to be life, but it wasn't real. And that's the cool part. It's like kind of dreaming while you're awake almost. Like it's, we know it's not reality, but it feels like it is. And mm. theater never quite felt like that. It felt interesting. a different kind of artistic, which I I am so, I have so much respect for theater actors because it is a different muscle. Yeah. But I don't find it for me as creatively fulfilling. Hmm. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I see a lot of um, TV or screen actors sort of going back mm. into um, into theater. Yeah, I think too. I like the world of theater better. There is mm. less pretentious, you know, like all this surface level stuff. So I think that, and that's the only reason I would do a play again is because it's kind of refreshing to just work with artists for the most part. That's it's just these people who just want to make plays and make good shows and so there's less of the glamour and all of that that is sometimes tiring attached to this Mm. this industry so i think that's why maybe actors go back to that what did you take from theater into tv and movies what it means to be an artist and not so much um any kind of technique or skill like tools Mm -hmm. but uh watching very different types of artists work for six years at Stratford specifically is it was I learned the kind of integrity you have to have as an artist how you have to um, help yourself it's kind of it was a way to treat yourself in order to be successful Mm -hmm. if that makes sense and just seeing everyone's different processes and that being an artist is it's a lifestyle it's not you you have to play for 
the long game and yeah. and and really figure your own self out to be successful at it, I think. And so that's what I learned mostly from theater is this respect for your and your responsibility as an artist because you also do have a voice and that's not like not a lot of people have that. Sure. So, yeah. So where did you go for TV? Did you go to New York, L.A., Toronto? Where was your first sort of main gig? Here. Yeah, here in Toronto. Okay. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly. I think my first TV thing. So I did a little bit in Vancouver when I was younger. Okay. Um, But actually, funny coincidence, the first TV thing I did in Vancouver was directed by the same woman that directed all of season one of Mary Kills People. So that was like... Cut oh, wow. two years later, we're, we're meeting up again. Did she remember you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Hollydale. Um, well, so what was it that you were doing in Vancouver? So I did an episode of a show called The Collectors. I was a, I okay. was a flashback. I did Diamond Hair Blonde. Um, okay. And uh, what else did I do? I did a you little, were a flashback? I was a flashback okay. of one of the leads. Of the main actor. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, and then I did a small part in The Fog. Um, I did... What else did I do TV-wise? Oh, I did like a concept film called sanguine there were all these it was mostly theater but i did a little smattering of that mm -hmm. and then my first thing here was a it was a show called copper and uh i played a someone who caught in gunfire an innocent bystander oh, and, no. and my jaw was blown off and so i just i have great pictures from that of just like i scared a lot of people the makeup <laughs> yeah yeah so that was my first kind of I'm curious about this. Um, when did you get your your IMDb? Is it IMDb page? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think someone else set it up for me. Okay. And I've always wondered how that works. It's kind of magical. Okay. I still don't know to this day how it really works. I update it as much as I can. But so sometimes you're able to update it? I'm able to update it, but sometimes credits just magically pop up okay. on there. And sometimes they don't. So then I have to go <laughs> digging. I'm still trying to figure it all out. But I think it was made because a show at Stratford was taped. Mm. Um, and so we had to, I guess it was technically considered a film credit okay and i think someone started the page because of that ah. i was a i don't even know whether i ended up being in it but okay. that's how it started out and it's been building since then that is neat yeah um so in toronto what was you 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 went to work for oh that lady so mary kills people season one yeah was that your first big show yeah i would say that was my first big television show i'd done a couple features before then mm -hmm. um and some guest stars and that was when i booked that i remember i was uh working in a coffee shop as i always do in between jobs and here in toronto here in toronto which one uh okay a lot fahrenheit lot fahrenheit first okay which is close to here actually yeah amazing coffee um and then tiero for a little bit and rooster coffee which i love Roosters all down here yeah rooster's yeah. really close here too okay um so i got super lucky that they were really decent jobs hard sure. work but really good places and uh i remember being in rooster and I was in a mop closet and I was sweeping and I was not very happy. And I got a call from my agent saying, you booked the show. And I just remember that was it was a very cool feeling. I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> I gave them my notice. Yeah. And it was funny, actually, a week before um, 
there was an, a filming notice posted on Rooster saying, just so you know, in a few weeks, this show called Mary Kills People is going to be filming yeah. in this area. And I remember leaving going, Haha, that's me. <laughs> did yeah. you take a photo of that? I did. I did. Yeah. Can you imagine that? That'd be awesome. I know. It's pretty cool. <laughs> the world works in cool ways. <laughs> so for those people who are not familiar with this TV show, give a brief synopsis. So uh, Mary Harris is an ER doctor by mm-hmm. day and then by night she helps people with assisted suicide who are terminally ill um and in the world that the show is set the assisted suicide isn't legal so she's having to kind of cover her tracks from the cops um but she's driven by this need to help people Mm -hmm. uh her family also doesn't know so they know she's living a some kind of double life but there's a lot of secrets um and i played jess geller who is mary's daughter yeah um who's right in that age of yeah, teenage, figuring out who she is, her sexuality, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also just knowing her mom is hiding something but feeling distant because she can't figure out what it is. So. Yeah, I've, I saw some um, some scenes with you and your mom. Yeah. Um, and I was very excited because one of the scenes, I think, not the one that you were in, but when, when she's giving the cocktail to this older lady. Yes. Um, Scarborough Bluffs, I think, is where, mm-hmm. is where it was shot. Mm-hmm. So shout out to Scarborough, which Scarborough is where I'm Bluffs. From. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, but you guys have a very difficult relationship. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm curious because it's it seems that Mary is doing this altruistic work, mm-hmm. right? Giving people an option, a choice. Yeah. Um, and then your character is like you're hiding something. Like it, it must be terrible mm-hmm. if you're hiding something. Yeah. Um I'm 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 curious about about that that relationship there. Yeah, it was um it was a tough one to figure out and get right because you want to find that balance between the tension and the distance between them but also being able to see that they probably did have a really really good relationship and that's why it's so mm. tense is cuz it's just not there. Mm-hmm. Um I think yeah, and just feeling I don't know whether Mary is necessarily aware of how Jess feels and that's I think if she knew that, she wouldn't obviously be, like, not addressing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a really interesting relationship. I think they're both very, very strong. I think they're very similar in the way that they're very loyal um, and intuitive. So because of that, I think they butt heads a lot because they're so similar mm-hmm. in that way. Um, I often said before in this season, we do Jess does find out what okay. Mary does. Um, but I often said that I think that if Jess found out what her mom did, I don't think she would be upset about that. I think she would respect it and understand it. I think that she's just more so upset that, she, that there's a she's being lied to. Yeah. Yeah. And being played a fool kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah. Um, with the age of social media, yeah. there's um, – and, and even, you know, I, I guess not, you know, regardless whether it's social media or not, there's, there's probably a lot of conversations that – that you see or that that you sort of get sucked into in terms of um, what Mary does and the show that focuses on this character who um, is shown to do good work, although illegal work. Yeah. Um, So what what kind of conversations are you having with fans, with critics of your your show, not necessarily media critics? Yeah. What kind of conversations are you having? There... A lot of people want to know where we all stand 
on the issue. And I think personally, personally, yeah. Mm. And I think the kind of conversations tend to be led into this gray area of everyone going, I don't think it's right. I don't think it's wrong. I think it's something we need to talk about. It's very hard to pin down um, and have a conversation about it because for one thing in this culture, we don't talk about death at all. Mm-hmm. We Everyone kind of knows it's there, but we all pretend it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And so I think even that is uncomfortable to start talking about. And then there's the whole question of, yeah, playing God, as, as people often call Mary, of choosing when your life should be over when no one has had that choice before. Yeah. Um, and it's so personal. And that's it. That's why also it's hard to have that conversation because you could say your stance on one thing about it and then totally change when, say, someone close to you is going through something. You know, it. I think it changes on your relationship to the issue. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would say in general, they're just really gray area conversations. And as long as people get the idea that there, I don't think ever is going to be a, a black and white answer. Mm-hmm. Just keep talking about it and keep listening to people's stories. Um, but that's it's good that people want to talk about it, I think. Yeah, least. it's really interesting. Yeah. I, I try to understand it. And, you know, there's, there's you know, being given a cocktail, mm-hmm. uh, knowing that after you drink it, that's it. Yeah. Uh, but then there's also sort of a, a, a more... I guess a less subtle, more subtle way of, of approaching it where, you know, for example, my grandmother, when she passed away, we knew that time was short. Yeah. And she was, uh, I think in palliative care or she was in a home or they wanted to have her in a home. And my mother saying, no, mm. she needs to be at her own home. Yeah. She needs to be at home. She needs to be where she's comfortable, where there's people who know her around her. Yeah. Um, and and I look back at that, and and that's also that's also a similar decision, right? That's mm-hmm. like we know she's going to pass, mm-hmm. but there's nothing, you know, there's there's really nothing that can be done. We just have to wait for the the clock to tick, for the calendar to go by. Yeah, let's just put her in a in a position in a place where she's we feel is the most comfortable. Yeah, yeah, and that you I know? think you are right that they are a similar thing. It's kind of finding that last bit of dignity because, like you said, you know it's going to happen regardless, and so you can. But you can still choose how it's going to, that time is going to be spent, however Mm -hmm. long it is. And I think that's what Mary's character is trying to do is, is have these people have a dignified exit rather than a long drawn out suffering or whether that is something like in palliative care versus being in your home Mm -hmm. surrounded by people. Like that makes a huge difference in how a person goes out and the people that are around too. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Have there been, um, you know, there's all there's always um, groups that 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 are on one side or the other. But I'm wondering, are are there any groups that are for people having the choice to make these end of life decisions mm. that use your show to say here's sort of where we need to go now? That's a I'm really curious. good question. I don't know that I mm. know of anyone that does. Um, I'm sure there are somewhere yeah. out there. I know there are a lot of people that are against it, um, but. But it would be a good show to kind of say, mm-hmm. this is the balanced look at what this actually is and what this person is doing. Yeah, so. I think it was, is it earlier in season two where Mary falls for someone who she thinks is terminally ill, but I think, or maybe still first is. First season, yeah. Was oh, that first season? Yeah, first season. And he's trying to 
catcher yeah. or something like that. He's an undercover cop. Yeah. So she almost kills a perfectly healthy person. And oh, okay. That's their whole mission is to catch her it's in the act. Her. And they can never do it. And she figures it out right before. Ah. But then because it's TV, she of also course. falls in love with him. So <laughs> because it because it's TV. TV. I'm wondering and I haven't seen obviously I haven't seen all the shows or all the episodes. Um but is there I know there's one time and, and I, I I don't know if it's in season one or season two where her partner mm-hmm. um there there's so there, there's one lady I think it's a lady I can't remember yeah. anyways there's one person that is literally near the end of life and she wants to he or she wants to terminate and then there's the partner mm. that is not ill yes but still wants to end their life because they want to end their life together yes and then Mary and her partner have an argument on whether the healthy one yeah whether they should help the healthy one. Yeah. So that that's very interesting. So interesting. That was the first episode of season two. Okay. And when I read that, yeah. I was genuinely shocked that they were going there. And I think it's great that they did mm-hmm. to it's it's such a unanswerable question of I think she says something very much along the lines. Mary says something of like, how are we to judge what people's suffering is? And his physical suffering mm-hmm. and her you know, mental suffering could be the very same thing. Yeah. And it is such an interesting concept, but I feel like part of living is also having to live once we've lost people. And Mm. it's such a, it's such a hard thing though to reckon with when you're in that. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. She was ready to kind of go along with it and just say, yes, this is like, this person deserves to choose to die as well. And yeah. But yeah. it's interesting that there was a, a, a discussion there between yes. uh, the two characters. Yeah, I feel like Des is kind of her... She she tries to push the bounds, he pulls her back yeah. in a little bit, and that's their relationship. Yeah. Um, your character is very interesting mm. as well. Um, and so what shocked me is that you... I, I guess your, your, your character is... Still discovering her sexuality? Yeah. 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 Is that the right way? Yeah, I think so. I think the first season was much more of first times. It was, I think it was her first time with her friend Naomi Mm -hmm. and really figuring out what that meant. And I don't think she was ever ashamed of it, but it wasn't something she was open about. Mm -hmm. Um, And only towards the end was she open about it with her mom. And so the second season, I think she's a bit more confident that that's her. Um, but she's never experienced any kind of healthy relationship. Ah. And so the second season, I feel, is all her um, learning that because na- the thing with Naomi was so toxic, it's mm-hmm. learning to tr- trust people again Someone else and now. know that they're not all going to be that way and that they actually really like her and, <laughs> and not just using her. Yeah. So I think that was where she grew up a little bit in a lot of ways, but in that way of really kind of, sinking into herself a little more and going, mm-hmm. yeah, this is who I am. And um, she still doesn't really need to, you know, openly address it, which I like. Yeah. That, now, yeah. what kind of conversations are you having online about that character? Yeah, it's been, there's such a kind of great community of LGBT people that follow characters. And mm-hmm. it's, I feel really honored to have that voice and okay. to communicate with people and just that they can relate to it i mean a job as an actor that's just my goal anyways that people can relate to it but specifically in this sense Mm -hmm. i think because it can be a really isolating journey especially for teenagers yeah um so i 
I really like whenever people reach out to me, like I, I will always I will love to chat with them or at least say thank you or, you know, mm-hmm. I really, I take that seriously for sure. Yeah. How do you address the people that don't like it? Oh, um, just that. Yeah, sure. You can have that opinion. <laughs> and it at the end of the day, it's entertainment and good entertainment starts discussion. And if we've done that, great. And you can have your opinion. And I try not to, you know, take it. Uh, although art feels personal at the end mm. of the day, if you can't say, OK, this is this is something I've created, but it's not me. Because if you if you don't disentangle those, then everything feels like it's an attack on you. Mm. And so uh, just learning to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm assuming season two, you guys have finished filming. Yep. Everything's there. Everything is there. Everything is aired. It's I think it's airing still in the States right now. Okay. But it's finished airing. I know in you're Canada. on global here. Yep. In the States, where where are you? Lifetime. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. And yeah. season three? There have been rumblings about okay. it. Yes, I can say that. You can say there's been rumblings. There have been rumblings. Okay. But you're not going back to Rooster. Not, okay. not at this point. <laughs> not at this point. You know what though? You okay. never know. <laughs> you never know. You got to keep all the doors open. Exactly. I genuinely also love making coffee. Okay. I found it so satisfying just like ripping through a line of orders and just I, there was something very simple. As hard, It's hard work, but there was something simple about it that I loved. So, you know, if I end up there, that's not the worst place I could end up in the world. Is, is, there, a, is there a certain coffee that you enjoy? Enjoy to enjoy to consume like a, first. a type of drinking co- like an americano versus a latte. Is that what you're asking? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Always an americano. Why? Uh, there, it's there's a good, perfect amount of strength to it. Okay. I don't like it being milked out very much. All right. Um, but I do also love. I think my favorite drink is a cortado. Which, if you know, I don't know. <laughs> it's equal parts. It's a Spanish drink, actually. Okay. It's equal parts espresso to steam milk, and the milk is, if it's done properly, it's steamed very cool. It's not hot like a latte, okay. so that it, it maintains the natural sweetness of the milk. Ah. Um, and it should be very thin, like not foamy, like a cappuccino. So that is me nerding out on coffee, but. That's your proper cortado. And anyone cortado. else who tries to give you something else is just making it wrong. Cortado. And is, it, is that also your favorite coffee to make? Yeah. It's okay. so much fun. Uh, yeah. Perfect size. So I know you, so you, you've worked at a few places. Is there a favorite coffee shop that you like to go to? In Toronto. Um, yeah. Or anywhere. In anywhere. Okay, yeah. This podcast um, is worldwide. Wow. <laughs> okay, my favorite that's a tough... You've just opened oh the, so many options. I love Revolver in Vancouver. Okay. Um, my favorite place there. I, every time I visit home, I go there. That's okay. Um, and then Intelligentsia in LA. I know there's a few, I think, in New York, around, around the States. But the one that's in Venice Beach is so good. It's just this next level standard of coffee. Intelligentsia so, is yeah, called? Yeah, yeah. All right, and th- revolver. I think my brother and sister in law are going mm. to uh, to Venice Beach, so I will tell send them, them there for sure. I will tell them to go check that yeah. place out. Yeah, I was actually when I was visiting there a few years ago, I made friends with one of the baristas, and we still are kind of like pen pals okay. to this day. So pen pals, pen pals. Oh my goodness! Because it's just you got to bring back those That's old fashioned things. Are you yeah. are you writing letters or is it emails? Well, emails. So emails. not real okay. pen pals, but yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, you're a, you're a writer, producer, mm-hmm. a short filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. 
Yeah, the writing, again, similar to acting, just kind of happened. It was a couple of years ago. One of my friends um, had a concept for a short film but didn't have time to write it. And so mm-hmm. she just kind of said, "Would you, could you try this? And I said, sure. Yeah. Um, and I found that I really liked it a lot. And it seemed to not not come naturally. That's not the right way of saying it. But I felt like myself doing it. Mm. Um, and so from there, I went on to write a couple others of my own um well tell me tell me more about the first one what was it about yeah it was about um it was about a spanish man who meets a um woman on a uh, like a forum where you talk about tech stuff you know that kind of okay. stuff so yeah, yeah. so so the person who had the concept her she wanted to play into this you know meeting technology that kind of thing yeah and um but the, the glitch is that they do end up meeting up, but he doesn't speak any English. And so <laughs> they try to have this. She's really put off at first okay. um, and is going to leave. Yeah. And and he pulls out his solution is he pulls out a um, Google translator. Mm-hmm. So he speaks into this thing in, in Italian or it was Italian, not Spanish. Um, and then it translated to English, and there's this like robotic voice that's kind of trying to communicate what okay. he's saying. But it's it's this whole idea of like so much of our interactions take place over technology, mm-hmm. and then like trying to get past that even without words and the same language, and still kind of getting to know someone. So it was just a very light, um, funny kind of nice. short story yeah nice. that was yeah. your first one yeah that and, was the first one and your other ones now um so there was one called i don't love you like that mm-hmm. and it was about it they were all lgbt characters okay um it was a pilot for a series um which is still kind of on the back burner but uh it was it was this concept pilot where all these characters end up in a bar together and mm-hmm. it was just a mess of misunderstandings and relationships that happen yeah so again very like uh i don't know if you've seen broad city but very like day yeah. in a life of just very quick okay sure. um and a lot of fun uh, there was another one that was about a woman who was living in a motel room after she had just moved to a new city and just super disconnected from everything, seeing a psychiatrist that was visiting her there. Um, and she meets up with a, a guy in a, a pie shop, uh, again, kind of like a, I, I think I write a lot of stories, I think about being disconnected and finding that mm. one thing that doesn't fix everything but starts to roll your life into a different direction so that was kind of that but uh, I really like slice of life stories and just that you feel like you're kind of rolling a camera in someone's life Mm -hmm. then the most recent thing which I'm really excited about is um for about seven or eight months now I've been writing a feature uh called every seventh wave and it's in development. It's got you know things going on. Nice, and it's, nice. It's uh, it's overwhelming, but it's so cool. And I love this idea. That it's getting more and more real. That I I can imagine that this these words are gonna be you know one day seen on a screen, however small the screen is. I'm just sure. super excited to be doing. What it, is it? So. Can you say what it's about yet? Uh. Mm, no, not okay. quite yet. But it, but, but I can say that there's one of one of my favorite things is the ocean, which is why I called it every seventh wave. Okay. And there's this myth. That I think a lot of people have heard about it, but that when the sea is rough, every 
seventh wave is a little bit bigger than the rest. And so it's this rule. Mm. It's kind of this theme of like some people see that as a dangerous thing because the ocean can be dangerous and unpredictable. And some people use that like surfers. I love to surf. We use that as we know that every seventh wave is the one to go for because Ah, it's the biggest biggest one. So Uh, that's like the most obvious thematic theme of it. But it's not, you know, it's not on the nose, but that. The title actually came first before I wrote the thing. Okay. Um, and slowly the theme shows up places. But um, yeah, I'm really, really excited about it. So So we're, I, we've written the already? Written it. It's in its sixth draft. Okay. Um, never stop rewriting. You know, mm-hmm. I never believed people when they said, you know, writing is rewriting. And I was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. That's for some people. But it really is. And so you, is the seventh draft like way different than the first? Are they two different scripts? Very different. They yeah. Are. It's so fascinating how you sit down and because I I'm I haven't been the best with long-term projects. I like to have immediate results. And mm. so this has been a really good thing for me to know that when I started writing it, you have to go through all the steps. You can't skip, you can't jump through hoops. You just have to go through them. How do you know that you're how do you know you're supposed to take these steps? Like how do you know you're supposed to be on your sixth, seventh draft? Um intuitively i think okay. from reading a lot of scripts as an actor you mm. you start to get the sense okay i know there's something missing i don't know what yet but it needs to go here okay. and also really amazing mentors i also send my script out to a lot of my actor friends who okay. i say please tear it apart um so a lot of that feedback i go off of as mm-hmm. well um which i find very helpful cuz there's only so much that my own brain can see different perspectives on um, but yeah, drastically different storylines. And every time I write a draft, I think, okay, that's it. And then, you know, I wake up in the middle of the night a few weeks later and I go, oh my gosh, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. So it's a constant. And you also have time for like a singing career. Yeah. Is this everything you do outside? So you film for a bunch of months and yeah. then in this quote unquote dead time, you do. Exactly. You pick up more projects? Yeah, I was never good with downtime mm. and 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 time off. And so I tried to reframe it in a way of even if these projects say the singing, say the writing, if they hadn't gone anywhere, it's more looking at it as like you're still in the thing you want to be doing. And yeah. so you're generating that kind of energy and some days it's harder to convince yourself that it's there is a point to it even if it's not going anywhere mm-hmm. but but yeah i would say in between contracts i always try and have a project i'm working on um just to keep myself reminded of what i love to do how would you describe your music oh um okay definitely not 100 percent pop Definitely not 100% folk, but okay. maybe like a little bit of a blend, mm. a little bit of singer-songwriter um, with with a little bit of pop undertone. Like um, like Feist? Sure. Okay. That's a good example. Yeah. Like definitely not. She's a pretty cool lady, so I wouldn't compare myself to okay. Feist. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I don't know if you've heard of Maggie Rogers. Um, I have not. She's a really great up-and-coming musician. Okay. So I would say I... I aspire to create that ah. kind of music. Um, but yeah, that that's how I, that's a good example. Yeah. When's the, I, I know there's an EP coming out. Yep. Chemistry. Yep. Uh, end of April. Okay. It'll be out. So I'm very Do excited. Do we have a party booked? <laughs> no. Already? No. You should come back it, in studio. Yeah. Play into oh, the gosh. bar. Yeah. Yeah. For a release <laughs> Great. party. Great. It's set. 
great. It's done. We'll get in it's touch in with the, Sammy. It's in the books. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but there's a there is one song out right now you can listen to called Electricity. So that's a little sample. Where where do we listen to that? Anywhere you can find it anywhere, pretty much iTunes, Spotify, okay. wherever. Cool. It's out there in the world. Yeah. So before we wrap up, yes, we got lots of time, but I, I'm curious. We're we're in this age, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, you're a female actor mm-hmm. uh, in quote unquote Hollywood, and and a bit here in Canada, there's been this uh, pushback um, by uh, female actors against um, male producers, male directors, other male actors yeah. who have. Um, seen it that it is okay to behave and conduct themselves in ways that I would say today we would look at and go, that's nuts. You can't do that. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But it, I'm, I'm assuming that, I don't know, years ago, months ago, decades ago, yeah. it was okay to treat women or minorities in certain ways. Yeah. Um, your thoughts on 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 this whole Me Too, mm-hmm. Times Up movement, and I use movement. I don't know if it's a necessarily a movement is the right way yeah. to frame it. More of a we're becoming, we're realizing that we were making a lot of mistakes. Yeah. Um, but your thoughts on on what's happening? Yeah, it's such a big conversation, and uh, I think you're right in that it it's almost like people are kind of waking up to it mm-hmm. because even me. You know, in, in my personal life, it's it's kind of like you don't realize until you stop and go, oh, wow, yeah, that wasn't okay. And it's it's always shocking to me how much people take in the moment as just a means to either get through something or mm-hmm. to be given a job. And it doesn't even cross your mind that that's not acceptable. And it can be very little things to obviously the big scale things that we're Sure, now. sure, sure, sure. Um, but yeah, it's it's shocking. I mean, I think I don't get as involved on social media just because it's it feels so big and it feels like a conversation that it's less personalized when it happens over social media. Like mm. I would love, and it, it and it's totally happening. A lot of things are happening in person, but if I can't talk to someone face to face about something and really see their reaction, especially if it's people that are pushing back against this stuff, mm-hmm. um, I think the key to all of it is, is seeing a person and talking to them and really getting it in our heads that we are, it's just so obvious that we're all the same, whatever body you've come in, mm-hmm. like it, it's just crazy to me. And so I have a very hard oh. time talking about it because it's okay. so ludicrous. Um, that being said, I think that there are so many very, very, very brave people that are talking about it. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it won't have to be, like you said, a movement yeah. soon. It will just be, yeah, this is right, this is wrong, the same way that we accept things that we didn't, I don't know, 50 years ago or something, yeah. you know? And it it's good that it's happening and it needs to happen everywhere. Um, yeah, those are my... Did you personally have to deal with any male actors or producers or directors? Yeah, I think, I think looking back on it, I mean, nothing extreme. Um, and I think something that a lot of people have experienced, but looking back on it for sure, uh, very 
very uncomfortable situations that you don't realize at the time why they feel so uncomfortable. Mm. Um, and now the trick is, and I think our job, because, you know, there's a lot of focus put on the, the men that are the perpetrators. But yeah. I think that our job is in the moment rather than after the fact. And this is a very hard thing to do, so I'm not saying it's easy, but in the moment to be able to stop and go, this doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. I don't need to go through this. Yeah. And that takes a long time to kind of condition yourself out of, I think, a a way of thinking about it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Yeah. You, you played a character, I'm going to guess, was it saving saving hope saving hope yep. where your character is assaulted yeah by your boyfriend i yeah. think it is yeah um how many years ago was that that was two about two years ago that was only two years yeah, ago. yeah but two years ago okay because i remember your character's sort of reaction mm -hmm. he, he's uh he's, i don't know what the exact words but it was, he's hot-headed he's under pressure yeah and stuff like that yeah um that was a very interesting response, your character's response. Very interesting. Uh, to, to that. Yeah. Yeah, because she wasn't, you could see that she wanted to ask for help, but yeah. she was still wanting to defend her husband or fiance. Or, yeah. Um, so you can see how easy it is for people to, it's a, it's a hard thing when personal feelings are attached to it. Mm -hmm. It's not black and white. Um, but yeah, the whole black dot campaign, because she had a, my character put a, a what black dot on her palm. Okay. So there was a a real campaign a couple years ago. Okay. That I think it was a it, it it they tried to start it and then it didn't end up going through. Mm -hmm. But the the idea was that if you put a black dot on your hand and showed it to someone like a paramedic, police, whatever, they knew without you saying anything. If you were with someone, they oh. knew that that person was causing some kind of abuse, but you couldn't speak up about it. Because oftentimes the whole thing is when you sure. speak, it gets worse. Yes. And so this was an idea. And so I thought it was really cool that they included that into the episode. And that's how my character asks for help is she just shows her palm of wow. her hand. So, And then backtracks that. and tries to deny Yeah, for sure. It gets real. Because when you start talking about yeah. it, right? Yeah, that's really. You've played yeah. some really interesting characters and yeah. been on some really interesting shows that really, yeah, um, force people to think. Yes, and talk about stuff that's happening. Yeah, right now and, and not very easy conversations. Yeah, are are these scripts that you get attracted to, or is it just it just happens? It's just the stuff that comes my way. Yeah. It seems like which I feel really lucky about. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's been a it's been a treat. Yeah, Abigail, thanks so much. Thank you for, for having coming me. It was great. Yeah. Um, thanks for everyone or thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, again, you can uh, find me on Twitter at Kareem Kanji. Also go to KareemKanji.com. Abigail, is there any place online you want people to go and check out? Maybe your music, your movies, your... Yeah, um, www.abigailwinter.ca. You can find all the stuff, my music and everything that I'm up to. Or uh, YouTube, find some stuff on there. A few covers up there. Um, yeah. What songs do you cover? I uh, recently covered a song from a musical called Dear Evan Hansen, which is an yeah, amazing. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So my friend Colton Stewart and I did a song from there um, called Only Us, which okay. is a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, you can go find that on there. Nice. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Upcoming on the show, we have uh, former Canadian Olympian and new author Jeremiah Brown, as well as Glass Tiger frontman Alan Fru coming into studio. If you enjoyed this conversation with Abigail, go check out episode 33 
with Ahus Madavji, um, and as well as episode 101 with Kelly McCormack. And please check us out on uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, please subscribe, rate, and review. It will really help this podcast be founded. Again, thank you so much, Abigail. Thank you.